to another episode of Patient No Longer, video podcast with Ryan Donahue and Brian Wynn. This is a special episode. It Ryan. is. We've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I know you all have been looking forward to this for a long time <laughs> because we've heard you loud and clear. The feedback was, there's something missing. Right. And, and what, what, is, what was that that was missing? I think it's the absence of a guest. Right. It was like, we want to hear just you two talk about healthcare. So uh, here, here you is. go. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> you asked for it, at least according to us, and now we're going to provide it to you because we've had a little banter here and there, but you and I haven't had a chance to go deep. Right. And this right. is the occasion. And we're going to try to keep this uh, under two hours, this episode, because <laughs> Ryan, and I, Ryan and I, when the insight. banter gets going, it, it, it can go pretty deep. It's valuable. So it, I, I wasn't joking. It is a special episode. It is. And we're, we're it's celebratory. We're commemorating something. Do you know what that something is? I heard it's a birthday, and I'm sorry I haven't gotten you anything yet. It's not my birthday. However, it is the birthday of NRC Health, That's 40th right. anniversary. So I'm actually, I'm actually similarly aged to <laughs> NRC Health, and I know you're actually quite a bit older. So well, we, we, we could give NRC advice on aging well, but I don't know if they need it. I mean, it's, it's Moisturizer. Been, it's, right. it's been phenomenal to watch this happen, just the, the organization turning 40, because for us, we've been with this organization so long, it feels like a person we know. Right. Absolutely. Well, every every good company has character and mm -hmm. any sort of, you know, you align with values, hopefully, and, and then ultimately right. it, it does feel like a person. It feels like a, definitely a part of your life. And so it's been a big part of our lives and then a big part yes. of so many of our, of our colleagues and friends' lives for, for so long. And it's interesting that that can just build up from something that started in, you know, 40 years ago right. on sketched out on a bar napkin. Yes. In Washington, D.C. by our by our owner, founder, Mike Case. All the good ideas start on a bar napkin. Typically. Including NRC Health. Right. It's the follow through. <laughs> when they start on a bar napkin, that's what's tough. Yeah. You know, but, but um, you know, Mike had a, had a really, I would say, a simple vision for the company. Yeah. You know, what he wrote on the back of that napkin. I don't exactly know what's on the back of that napkin. But, no one's seen it since. But the spirit of it is, is that every individual has a story. And that story deserves to be heard. Right. And when that story is heard, then that person can be known. And that, that being, you know, it's, it's fundamental to bringing humanity to healthcare. And that's been the purpose of NRC Health for the last 40 years uh, from day one. And we, we carry that torch today. And it'll be the purpose of NRC Health for the next 40 years. And you and I both know in healthcare, it is so easy to forget about the person and focus on the disease, the treatment, how to fix the ailment. We wrap all of our energy around that and we miss the person underneath it all. Yeah, which is... Which is a funny thing, and we talk about that a lot on our on our we episodes, do. right? We have we have guests that sort of offer their they're definitely offer their opinion expertise there, right? And as technically good and proficient as as healthcare operators and providers are, as as much of the soul is in it, all the intentions being right, it is sometimes uh, apparent that we forget about the the human the human part of the human interaction, and and that's something that. Um, it's always been a little bit funny to me because as both somebody who a professional in healthcare and a healthcare consumer, it, it, it's right. odd that something so personal can actually be missed that way. So, but, but again, you know, that, that is, that's the mission of, of NRC health is to win that, you know, to, right. to, to bring to light the interpersonal story of every individual. And, and I think right. that's something that when that happens, we, you know, it's aspirational, of course, it is. But, but when it happens, then, then I think a whole new world opens up in terms of uh, health outcomes and in terms of, engagement levels between staff, provider, patient, I, I, you know, it's really going to be something that um, we'll, we'll continue to monitor. We'll keep pushing it. We'll keep pushing the boulder. We will. And, and that's, that's the purpose. It's, it's incredible too, Brian, because, you know, when we talk about human understanding, it's simple and it's complex because the way you just mentioned it, the story behind the person, you know, knowing that story, it can get lost in the shuffle. The other thing is we know through all these years of patient satisfaction and patient experience and patient-centered care, it is so easy for even the improvements around knowing that human being at the heart of care, even knowing that that's within the organization, sometimes compartmentalized, sometimes something that doesn't get all the way to the C-suite. And we work with the Governance Institute to try to push that education up within the very building that everyone's sitting in. And the other thing is, it's very important in healthcare specifically. I'd say there's other industries out there where it's maybe not as important to know your customer, right? right. You're going in for a phone, you're buying a pair of shoes. Okay, you've got preferences, but that's not your body. That's not your livelihood, your very being at stake. And so in healthcare, it is so vitally important and necessary to understand that person behind it all. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think sometimes we just get in our own way, but hey, you know, 
that we do. No, I don't want to take do. a defeatist attitude. To this this is a celebration. It's a positive it's, episode. Yeah, that's right. So, and we're actually gonna. I want to get to that in just a second. I want to sure. talk. I want to talk about NRC's evolution alongside the the evolution of healthcare. I mean, clearly we've been going in parallel. We like you know we like to think that we're a step or two ahead in in terms of identifying trends and, and what's most important to those that, that providers serve. Right. Um, but I'm also curious about something else. And, sure. and th- this is when, you know, when I listen to other podcasts, I've got my, I've got my, I've got my favorites, right? And, and one <laughs> of the most list. interesting things that, that every time somebody sits down in a seat, it, it's the backstory of that individual. Like, how did yeah. you get in that chair? Right. And, and what, what brought you here? So, you know, we'll talk about this in terms of, you know, this chair literally today, but, but to NRC, what brought you to the NRC chair? Right. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, your, your path here. Okay, get ready, because I'm going to turn this around on you after I answer. Fair, fair enough. I did not at any point in my formative years or even in college think that I would be in healthcare. Okay, first of all. Uh, second, I, you I look was, like a doctor. Well, and you thank act you like so one. much. For some of our viewers and listeners, they'll remember there used to be a Dr. Donahue column. It was a syndicated column back 80s, 90s, so they may remember that. But that, that was about as close as the association got. <laughs> I loved branding. I loved marketing. My degree was in marketing. Loved advertising. Um, and outside of school, I, I found Turner Media working for Cartoon Network. Uh, did a stint with Sports Illustrated. Uh, you know, getting viewership up, getting readership up, and just that whole struggle of being in the media world. And my wife and I, well, wasn't my wife at the time, but ended up becoming my wife. We were moving back to Nebraska to be closer to family. I went back to a mentor from college who helped me with a lot of the branding marketing piece. And I said, where do I go for a job? You know, Nebraska is not the most populated state, if you don't know that, uh, but it's a great state. And I said, where do I go for a job? And she said, you know who needs branding and marketing help? Healthcare. And I thought, do they even have a brand? And that basically <laughs> cinched it, right? And so the opportunity came about to be a marketer at NRC Health, specifically on the Market Insights product, which appeals most to marketers. So I was a marketer, marketing to marketers in healthcare where marketing is a real challenge. And that's what ended up uh, that's a bringing lot of, me- That's a lot of marketing in <laughs> one it's, sentence. It's several magnitudes of marketing, <laughs> but it was phenomenal to dig in. And I still remember using you know, words like brand and consumer, you know, words I'd used in my previous life very fluently, very easily. And people looked at me like I had a third arm coming out of my back. They said, they're patients and we, we don't worry about our brand. You're talking about the sign on the building. And I thought, wow, this is an industry where I could really dig in and try to help and move it forward. Yeah. But that's just my little story. So how about you, Brian? What brought you to NRC Health? You, you know, if you go back far enough, our, our sure. beginnings aren't actually that different. Yeah. Where I, I'm, I, have, I have a broadcast media background. Uh, my my degrees are in advertising, marketing. And, and what I was hoping to do, what, what I thought my career direction was going to be, was that I was going to be, you know, a big producer on some sort of television series or, or movies or something like that, right? Like be, be behind the scenes, but sort of, you know, moving the chess pieces around and, and sure. you know, pulling the strings. Sure. Uh, that always, that always appealed to me. And so part of that journey was uh, about, well, about 15 years ago, I, I launched a publication here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it was a statewide publication uh, aimed at healthcare providers. So right. it, was, it was directly sent to all the physicians in the state, all the, all the administration, all the leadership. And it wasn't because I was in love with healthcare at that time. It sure. was because I, I was thinking at that, you know, well, you know, who makes a lot of money? Uh, yeah. People, people in healthcare. I'm just thinking, you know, stereotypically, uh, physicians make a lot of money. They drive BMWs. Uh, right. it, it, this is going to the the articles will be about them and for them, and and that'll help me sell advertising space and all that kind of stuff. Well, this thing happened, and it was going actually pretty well. Uh, this thing happened. Right around 0809, uh, some of our some of our listeners will will remember this. Yeah, what did this? what happened around 08? Well, there is this there's this tiny economic economic pinch that happened back then, and it's funny when you have a niche publication where you know your your surplus advertising budget is what pays your bills, that kind of dries up pretty quick. So sure. so here I am, I've got a choice to make. I can I can keep plugging away. I can keep trying to build this thing and expand it basically funding it myself at this point. Right. And, or, or I could or I could look and, and say, all right, um, listen to this voice in the back of my head. And it was one where I was I was working with, I was I was interviewing doctors, I was interviewing CEOs, I was I was talking to uh, chief medical officers about what's important to them and the, the innovations they're making and the struggles they're facing. And, and while I was doing that, all part of the the broadcast media interviewer guy, uh, I was listening to, I could see behind their eyes, like the purpose and the drive and the passion and the words. I, you, you could feel it. There's a lot of gravity when you speak to somebody who knows their calling and and and, right. and they're living it, right? And so I just sort of 
kind of slowly, unintentionally fell in love with it, right? <laughs> and and so so when when 0809 sort of pinched my business to the point I'm like, okay, this is no longer going to work. I went over to this company that was right across the street from uh, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, right? And I'd seen it many times. I had no idea. Walked what, by it. I had no idea what, what NRC Health did. Right. But I knew they were in healthcare, and that's I knew that that's that's where I wanted to be. I had this like growing uh, passion, right, right. For, for the space. Right. So I come over there. Um, I, I meet a, meet some people that I'm still friends with today. They were luck, I was lucky enough to be brought on, and have you know been in several different capacities uh, throughout my 12 years, 13 years at, at NRC Health, right. which has been you know, beyond a blessing. Yeah. And, and I, I would say that I'm glad that I followed that little uh, hint of intuition that like, like this is maybe for me because absolutely, right? I mean, without a doubt, it took me maybe a month before I realized that like, man, I'm really sure in my footing here. And, yeah. I, and I really love this work and I think it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, think about the journey that we've had within the organization. You 13 years, me 14, I have you by one. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting to think about what healthcare was like when we both transplanted into healthcare. I remember nonstop pressure to talk about HCAPS. Mm -hmm. You know, this was going to be defining the industry. We were finally going to have a standardized reporting tool. We were finally going to have a way to publicly report that to consumers. The C in HCAPS yeah. was was standing for consumer. Right. And so I was really excited. But what put me over the top in my first days with NRC Health is that we helped influence through our work with Picker and the legacy of the Picker Institute and the Picker Symposium, we helped influence the very questions that were on that survey. Right. It was in the spirit of Harvey Picker, which was very aligned to our mission. I and mean, it was what we did. Yeah. And I was so excited for that back then. I remember thinking 10 years from now, which we're well past now, this industry is gonna be fully transparent, fully consumer centric, <laughs> You know, you and I are going to have to have a different job at that point because yep. they'll have made it. Yep. Turns out, <laughs> <laughs> turns out there is a bigger task than than what we all thought. But I would say, you know, at the at the onset, at the creation of the CAP survey, right? There's there's a lot of debate at that time in terms of what how big the survey tool should be, when and how should it be administered, what are the questions on it, and it was the research uh, yeah. that was done by by Harvard Medical School, um, Harvey Picker, and Picker Institute, right? That that really. Um, is foundationally the, the the contributor for for the, the HCAP survey, and and it's based on all things that are still as true today as they were then, the the most important moments in a patient experience, and and you know things around emotional support and communication, things that are that are still. That if you're looking, if you're yeah. a patient experience professional, and you're looking at things like key drivers, and you're looking at reports performance for your organization, right. guess what? You know, communication scores for nurses and physicians are always up at the top in terms right. of key driving that overall metric, and that hasn't changed since day one. Not a bit. And it's interesting too, because you know we think something else in the last 10, 12 years since we've been around. I mean, uh, when, when I started at NRC Health, Facebook was for college students only, right? So there's been an incredible change. There was no iPhone. And so now technology has changed so many things in our lives. But in healthcare, you take one of the eight dimensions of care, the picker dimensions you mentioned, um, you know, information and technology, keeping informed, staying informed, that's still just as important to patients now. It's just how it's done has changed. You know, right. in the year of COVID, we've had people connecting via iPads and phones and hospitals finally helping them do that in a time of crisis. But really all along, people have wanted to connect with family and friends and other patients around them. They don't want to feel alone in that experience. And that's really timeless. Right. Right. So let's actually talk about that. That sure. The desire to have, I would say, omni-channel connection, different options, right? To sort of have your questions answered, to feel like you have connection with the provider, to to feel like you have access to any type of you know information or care, yeah. be, it, be it virtual or physical that you need. Uh, that That's very, very important. If we, Let's rewind back again to, to HCAP survey, because mm -hmm. we still, I still have a lot of conversations about HCAPs today. Sure. It's, it's not unimportant. It's right. just that we've discovered that there is other things that are also important, right? Because yes. we, we spend our time here and with our guests talking about the, the the care journey, the patient journey. That, right. That's the whole point of this podcast. Exactly. And we, we talk about where we're doing things well and where we're not doing things so well and the gaps in between and what we might do, right, yeah. to, to address those. So with the H HCAP survey being built, uh, I think we all can agree with the very best of intentions. It, it And it was something that was delivered and intended to give the nation a, a benchmark of performance. Right, yeah. and then, then things have spun off of that, like different caps tools, and then value-based purchasing, and all, and all that kind exactly. of stuff. We don't need to talk about all that, but 
you know, what what is it in your opinion, Ryan, that that was so central to I would say the initial success and adoption of the HCAP survey? Uh, there was there was some laggards and some probably you know oh, yeah. some punches thrown back, but sure. But but eventually it got up and going. Uh, what was so central of that that we could take uh, in, in spirit or in function and, and apply it to these other areas that we talk about that yeah. are that are gaps, right, in the customer experience or the customer journey? I like how you said spirit because, you know, I, I look back to Harvey Picker's work and, of course, the namesake of this podcast, Patient No Longer, is also our latest book. And that right. book really is uh, a descendant of an original book in the early 90s, which was a culmination of Harvey Picker's work. It was called Through the Patient's Eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think the core idea in that book was you have got to see things through the patient perspective, and that's what's been missing in healthcare. You know, Harvey talked about way back when, before we really had much technology at all, like World War II days, you really did your best to save someone, but they were either going to make it or they weren't. And so you got to know them as a person. You got to know them as an individual. There was no screen, no EMR in your way. You weren't making crazy rounds or eight-to-one ratios for nurses. You got to know somebody, right. and healthcare got very busy, and the technology, of course, saves lives. So we love that part. But what fell off a little bit was that human interaction, which is really central to the NRC health mission, human right. understanding. And so when he talked about it way back when, it just really connected to me that that is still what we're trying to do. And there's such a busy world out there. There's so many distractions. We just talked about technology, for example, but we've really got to continue to push and take steps toward the human being at the core of this. To me, that's what embodies Picker's work. It's what embodies age caps. It's what embodies our mission today. Right. Uh, and so the, as, as NRC has evolved, obviously technology, as you mentioned, that, that helps sure. us do, that helps us do things at scale. Um, it, it helps us do things efficiently. Uh, we find ways to integrate with other, with, with other, I would say, uh, data streams and, and points of knowing ab about a patient, of course. right? Of course. Uh, clearly it's advantageous. We look at like AI and diagnostics and, and even, even now it's being applied to the traditional marketing world, like where you have, you can do call routing and, and chat bots on websites and things like that. Things that yeah. don't eat up human time, but are smart. They learn all the time It's technology enabled. Right. And so right. NRC has very much been, um, on that path, if not leading it, uh, in, certainly in my time here, and as I sort of looked in the rearview mirror before I showed up, it, that's the case as well. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned having the Market Insights Survey or Market Insights Solution, you know, being a, a part of the the I would say the, the toolkit. Yes. Um, right. one, of, one of the solutions that that NRC offered that really attracted you, and and that was actually the first product of right. of, of NRC, and that that was fundamentally just a, gain a better understanding of the people that you serve in your marketplace, right? right. Their preferences, fears, um, any sort of preconceived uh, notions about, about brands, about, about care. Of Let's course. talk about that just a little bit. Let's talk about how, like how that piece market insights has evolved, maybe just in your time here. It's been incredible to watch. So you'd mentioned something, you know, NRC being ahead of the curve. And when I came to NRC, you know, a decade and a half ago, it was almost unheard of to do online only surveys. But yet Market Insights in the form it was then was online only. And it, it used incredible tools and incredible panel work and incredible uh, engagement strategies to get people to fill out surveys online. And we used to fight that battle of people saying, no, people want to be called on the phone, Ryan. Mm -hmm. We said, I don't know how long ago this was, but people even then did not want to be called on the phone. <laughs> and it's certainly been proven true over time, right? And so NRC Health was always ahead of the curve, almost to the point of being controversial in some cases, which I loved. I love the spirit of pushing forward that again in an industry that needed it so badly. But you know, when I started on our consumer surveys, which was what really drew me to NRC Health, this idea of consumerism and branding and not just mm -hmm. the patient experience, but things that build around and inform the patient experience. You know, we had the who's who of clients in many ways. You know, we worked with Cedar sinai we worked with Cleveland Clinic, we worked at Johns Hopkins. We had these well-known national brands, Mayo Clinic, that were using our consumer survey largely because at the time it was a luxury. They wanted to know how their brand, their powerful brand, how it was resonating with consumers. They knew that they were more than local, they were regional, or in some cases national. Right. And they wanted to get a feel for that, and they had the budget for it. But for most mid-sized hospitals, even a lot of health systems at that time, which we didn't have as many as we do now, and certainly all the independents, it was sort of, why do I really care what people think about me until they're here? 
in the building, in the exam room, on the operating table, you know, in a gown. Right. That's when I care. And so from that point on, we built more and more around Market Insights to say, no, we're on the right track. You've got to know your patient before they're a patient. You have to know them as a consumer. You have to know their expectations, which they form well in advance. You've got to know their preferences because that's going to affect utilization down the line. And then when they leave, it's not over. I know we're fee for service, but listen, if you want people to come back, if you want people to fill out a 10 on that HCAP survey, right. you've got to know how they feel when they leave and stay with them in a relationship. So I feel like we've done a lot of work over the years, but we built around a house with good bones. You know, yep. this idea that we were on track, consumer perspective matters, even if a lot of the industry doesn't agree. And now, if you check in, I think I'd say the majority of the industry wants to know that consumer perspective, even when they're not in a gown. I think you're right. And and that's, it's it's kind of like this, um, it's a reconciliation. It's It's this sense of if they want to, admit it or not, and I say they, I'm, I'm really talking about us and sure, <laughs> us as much as anybody. But right. But all these things are interconnected. The the customer journey is one thing. It's always perceived as the time I broke my leg and then all these other all these other, you know, events that happen, the billing and the visits and the rehab and all that kind yep. of stuff. That's all just the time I broke my leg. Now to right. a health system, that's a hundred different things. Sure. Right? Yeah. They, they have these different uh, touch points and processes and and people in charge of the different, you know, silos there and and, and that's at some point we'll, we'll we'll figure out how to smooth that out. That's probably for that's probably for another time. That might be our uh, 80th year episode. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but uh, just thinking about the the concept of you just mentioned it, having being armed with the expectations of the consumer that you hope to earn. Right. Right. And right. and that's really that's really the role of a marketer, right? Is is to demonstrate some sort of knowing, be able to communicate your brand promise in such a way that it's going to influence them to take you know take a flyer on you right yeah when, exactly. when the time comes that they need health care now course. now when when you do have that understanding then that information now not living in a silo but shared with the care team and the provider team right now they have a way better chance of meeting and exceeding expectations and we know that you know that sort of the the longitudinal um uh, experiences that an individual has with the brand you have to consistently meet and exceed expectations if you hope to earn loyalty exactly right and so now you have expectations. Now what you what you just mentioned too about you know we, we need to check in with them after their after the experience because right. we're not done. Like once they leave the door, like it's not like well maybe we'll see that person again and then we'll act like we don't know them if they come back in the door. Like <laughs> that's not the way we, that's not the way that it works. So exactly. it's not the way it should work. No. And so they, they leave you. And you want to make sure that they transition home safely. You want to make sure that you're doing things to, you know, capturing feedback for performance improvement. Like like right. this industry really knows how to do well. And I'd say, I'd say that there's a feather in the cap. Sure. Performance improvement, feedback to feedback to feed that. And but then, you know, take some of that feedback. Some of the things we've become familiar with, uh, you know, in NRC back up six years ago, made an acquisition of a, a company called Digital Ascent, which actually was the launch of what we consider our, our transparency and reputation management programs, which is really just a way to build more trust in the community, utilizing patient feedback. Exactly. And then and then and then invite people, you know, educate the community, build trust, um, elevate performance improvement for for competitive providers, which is a good thing. And, and then invite people back into the front door. And yeah. then next time they come back in, you're like, hey, I remember you. Right. Last time you were here, you told us this and this and this. And then 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 you have a chance to elevate that experience again. Right. So it's really it, although we, we sort of display this and we talk about it in linear fashion. It's more sure. like an infinity loop. It is. Right. Hopefully. Hopefully. That's the goal. Yeah. And I love how you said it at the outset, Brian, that we earn the consumer. We earn the right for them to become our patient. Right. Um, and it, it's something that we've still, as an industry, got to adopt a little more of the psychology of that. We have to earn them because it's not easy to do. And I don't just mean from our clients' perspectives and our prospects' perspectives. Not the provider side, even. On the consumer side, we know that a lot of people hesitate or defer care and really don't want to enter into this idea of patienthood. You know, one of the fun things that I get to do in my role now is take some of our extra survey length and add exploratory questions. And this is really fun to do. It gets real fun around election years. Mm -hmm. But recently, <laughs> we asked some questions around price transparency, around the process of paying for care, which you were also alluding to at the end right. when they leave. It's not over. They've got more experiences ahead of them. That's right. And what consumers said about that, first of all, paying for care is incredibly negative, And it affects then that loop of coming around back in, gosh, it almost bankrupt me last time. Is there any way to avoid this healthcare experience now? Even to the basic level of 
I, I sense something wrong, I'm just going to ignore it for a while. Or then I'm going to go on to WebMD, my favorite doctor who's always on call at 3 a.m., right? Mm -hmm. I can Google this in my pajamas in the basement. <laughs> yes, we both know him. We give him five stars because, again, we can do those sort of things without entering into healthcare. We asked consumers a question. We said, what is entering into healthcare, using it, you know, becoming a patient? What other industry is that most like? What other activity as a consumer is becoming a patient most like? Any guesses as to what uh, the, the top answers were? Well, I, I mean, health and wealth are pretty closely related. I'd say maybe the financial industry. Yeah, expensive to yeah. use the financial industry. High confusing. Stakes. Yeah, confusing. If, yeah. if you don't have a degree in it, it can be a real issue. Mm -hmm. um, closely related to that, and the number one answer was buying a car. No. Because you still don't know what you're going to pay. Think of how easy it is to get a grown adult to shed tears, to cry, just drop them off at a dealership, right? <laughs> and you know that process. Everyone has a horror story around buying a car. Now, the funny thing about consumers drawing a parallel between healthcare to buying a car, which is not a feather in a cap, right, is that the car industry has actually done work in recent years to get better about that. They know they've been price opaque and consumers have more information. So they've started sharing prices. We've got dealerships in our city who are one price. You go and you pay that price. In fact, you can do the negotiating via email. Right. And it's interesting to watch, you know, consumers 10 years ago would visit around four and a half dealerships before they bought a car. You can remember hopping around. When was the last time you did that? Now it's on average one and a half dealerships. So sometimes you're coming in, you know everything about the car, you've reverse engineered the marketing process, you've agreed on a price, you're basically coming in to make sure that thing exists and you're driving it off the lot. And that's the car industry. Right. Healthcare has a lot of work to even be similar in that sense. We know that consumers struggle so much with this. So one part I wanna go back to is that loyalty piece. You've done a lot of work in the field of loyalty. Mm -hmm. Now as an industry, we are still majority fee for service. As much as we've talked about volume to value, we are still in the volume game. And fee for service to me is the antithesis of loyalty because it's basically, you come in, I serve you, I charge you. You leave, it doesn't matter if you come back as someone, someone else fills that bet. You know how damaging that sort of mindset is, right. how it's got to shift. So talk to me a little bit more about that. When the consumer leaves, they're not in a gown anymore, they go off on their own. What do we need to be thinking about and doing to ensure that they are still a part of what we do and that they come back? Yeah, I could argue both sides of this. We'll call it both sides of the um, payment structure, right? Yes. And, and, and so we got fee for service, you have fee for value. Right. Uh, and one of the most common things that I know we hear all the time is like, oh, we got a foot in each canoe, right? And, and that's, that seems <laughs> yes. to be one of the favorite things to, for folks to say. And, and it's honestly, it's true, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's complex and the evolution from fee-for-service to value-based care has been like glacial at best. And we've got years and years to go before fee-for-service is behind us. And that'll right. only be kind of a specialized thing. Right. So loyalty is an interesting thing that when all the studies that we've done on it, it actually has humongous positive benefit regardless of which canoe you're in yeah right and 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 so let me talk about it from the from the fee for uh, service piece we know the lifetime value of an individual is right around 1.9 million dollars in terms of you know uh, healthcare spend to an organization a family of four is just south of nine million dollars right so if you treat an individual interaction as as that and, and don't work to consistently elevate all you know those experiences meet exceed just like we talked about then you're missing out on an incredible financial impact, a positive boon, right? When you can yes. you can just demonstrate that you know an individual, you're doing what's, you're listening, you're asking what's important to them, and then you actually tune what your delivery to what is important to them. I know I'm oversimplifying it. It's not, it's not that easy, but that's, again, spirit. That's the spirit of it. Yeah. And that's what NRC does. We try to make that, make that a real thing. But but the financial impact to an organization, positive or negative on that, on which, on how you choose to act there yes. is, is big. Right uh, now, now on the on the fee for value side, yeah. right, or you know the value based side. Now, you are incentivized as a health system to make sure that you don't have redundant services. You're very much incentivized to demonstrate a, a deep knowing of this individual. Yeah. Um, you, you're reducing costs on your end because the the payment that you're going to receive for taking care of this individual is going to be likely capitated. Right? right. So you're going to receive so much for the time Brian broke his leg. Now you guys chop it up a hundred ways. All you need to do. Mm -hmm. But I'll bet that when we're operating solely in that environment, there won't be a hundred different things. It'll be looked at as maybe two or three, and there's kind of they're they're going to find all kinds of efficiency 
there. Right. So we know the individuals that are loyal, like for example, they're stated loyal to uh, their primary care physician. They have fewer comorbidities. They cost the health system less, up to a third less when they do have a healthcare episode. Right. So I mean, this is the, now this is bottom line stuff to right. to a health system. Major revenue impact, right? And yeah. then and then then those people, just like anybody else, is is they're consistently sharing sharing that word out, right? Word of mouth is difficult to measure, but uh, actually in the way that we quantify it, um, it is it is measurable, right? Yeah, and and that's, that's what tools like Market Insights do. I completely agree. It's, you know, and you said something interesting in there about us being able to increase efficiencies among our clients and being able to help them save money. You know, I think of stories like us doing care transitions, which you've already mentioned. You know, Houston Methodist, we help them out. They actually estimate on their own. Houston Methodist, Methodist great size, mm -hmm. um, down the Gulf area, $12 million a year is what it would cost them to do a program like that. And with us, it's about 25% of that. I mean, we're saving millions of dollars right. um, in helping them. And we've done that across the board with care transitions by using our automated systems. We've already figured that out. We've already just sort of hoed that road and made sure that it's something that works. And that helps keep people out of the hospital, just checking in with them. Right. Once they leave, like you said, where they're confused about medication or not sure what to do, nurses would love to have the time to do that. They're not doing it. And so if we can come in with an efficient system and say, we'll do that for you, and some some of the comments we've seen, which we probably can't say because it's, it's hit, we got to be yeah, yeah, complying yeah, here. Yeah, watch but it. some of the comments that we've seen that have come through that we've been able to share directly to the client in real time so fast so that they can suss that out, figure that out and help those people stay healthy. It, it feels like through our clients, we're really helping the consumer. We're not a B2C business. Right. But yet there's an impact there that we've been able to be a part of. Yeah, and I would even add to that and say that it's not just about creating efficiency on the process of making the discharge call. Like that's a lot of, usually a lot of live nurses that are, that are doing that. Right. So it's very difficult to do it at scale for a large health system like Houston Methodist. Uh, it's, it's hard to do it systematically everywhere all the time. So, uh, you know, you apply technology, right? We talked about that. This is one of the great advancements of technology. The, the, the goal is to make sure that somebody is heard and transitioned home safely. That's the goal. Technology enables that goal. And it's not just you're saving money on staffing. You can, you can have nurses, you know, do what they want to do, right. actually care for patients instead of make phone calls. But then it also, you know, when you catch that, that 10, 15% of individual that actually do need help. Right? right, like their condition has worsened. They don't understand medication side effects. They haven't made their follow-up appointment. Then it gives you a chance for nurses to call live that ten or fifteen percent, and then yes. and then it prevents readmissions. Right, so and that's a whole other that's a whole other ding that health systems have to deal with is readmission penalties. And of course, that means that individual is not getting better, exactly. which the treatment is going to cost the health system and the individual. Uh, you know, personally, again, the human side of this is not having an ideal experience with you. Exactly, and experience, and that's all still part of the journey. Right. That's what's incredible to me. The other thing, going back to age caps, you know, there's. As much as we informed HCAPs, we're one of the largest providers of HCAPs. We know it is a standardized survey mm -hmm. that comes in the mail. It has its limitations. We've seen incredible work among our clients to be able to supplement that with our real-time surveys, which are much shorter, allow for people to give comments in their own words in a digital interface. Um, they can do it very quickly. It can be on top, up, up and above of HCAPs, right? And what's interesting is the people that have saved money doing that. I mean, I think about our Community Insights program, which is a branch on the Market Insights tree, where Metro Health, it's allowed them to save $80,000 a year by just plugging in, you know, a bolt-on survey mm -hmm. to be able to get at some of these things that they've wondered about, that they, if they go off and commission their own survey with a one-off with a firm, they're going to pay a lot more money. We help them save money. I've got to think that when we do that and we help our clients be more efficient, we're really helping the consumer experience along the way. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, it's really about, like, think about the way these feedback tools are created. So I'll, yeah. I'll even back you up a little bit more. Sure. We, we do research to understand how the feedback tools should look, <laughs> right. what channels they should come in, how long the survey should be, what the question is. And so, it, it, so we're consistently, so the theme, if we're, if we're all catching it here, the theme is we're consistently asking and engaging individuals what's most important to them. It's right. what's on the back of the napkin back in 1981 in D.C., right? Exactly. Like the, everybody has a story, what's important to them, and how can we demonstrate that we know. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, these modernized feedback mechanisms like real time and community insights, these, these are ways for us to be contemporary, utilize technology, do things at scale, all the stuff that we know we need to do, be very efficient, exactly. but we're consistently engaging in a way that people want to, in a mode, a channel, a, a format that they want to. Right. And we're asking them for, we're asking them for a dialogue, we're asking for a relationship. 
Yeah. Right. And and so we can't think about it as just technology feedback, like a survey you get after a Southwest flight or something like that. Right. Th this is continually helping to inform and build the mosaic of that individual's wants, needs, experiences with your brand. And so much of that portrait that we paint starts so early on. That's what I love about the spirit of going out and finding out more about the consumer before they ever become a patient. You know, over the years, a client that pops into my mind while we're kind of sharing case examples is Mary Washington. Mary Washington has always taken the Market Insights data on mm -hmm. utilization, and they've paired it with all the people we ask about, where would you go in the future if you need care? So that's our preference data. Mm -hmm. They found ways to correlate that too. In fact, they put it together and they figured out a 3.8% increase in awareness down to the percentage, 3.8% will eventually, within six to eight months, lead to 2.4% increase in market share. Right. Being armed with that, being able to no longer be preventative or reactive, but now predictive in the future, putting your strategic planning muscle behind that, saying we know that there's going to be increases in volume in certain service lines, that's so powerful. And for all the obvious reasons for our clients, but for consumers to go in and know that there's a path that's been laid out for you. We figured out there's gonna be increase in services. That's gonna decrease mm -hmm. wait times, frustration, throughput, all those things that are so important that the consumer expects when they arrive. We've been able to work with clients who have been able to build that path before they get there. Right. Uh, you, you know, we've mentioned the, the consumer perspective. It's super important. You talked about, you know, through the patient's eyes, the book that was, sure. sort, of, that was sort of foundational to, uh, well, to CAPS and everything we've been talking about. Of course. So, and, and, and that's, it's really a discipline, isn't it? To, yeah. to like continue to involve the person that you're designing for in the discussion. Exactly. Like when you say you're patient-centered, a lot of times we did things that were, you know, as an industry that we called patient-centered, but really it was like provider or payer-centered or mm -hmm. something like that, right? Um, that, when, when you check all your own internal boxes and can't say for sure if you've checked the box of the person that is actually your customer, like you're probably in a tough spot. Yeah. I mean, you might think about rolling back that program a little bit before you roll it out. Precisely. And and so, you know, we're both, we're dads, right? Like yes. We, we, have, we have families. We have, yes. We're healthcare consumers. It's um, a big job. As is every single person listening and watching That's uh, right. to this right now. It, it's interesting as we've we, we've shared stories before, you and I have talked about this, navigating the, the, the healthcare journey just from the consumer perspective. There's some funny things in there. There's some not so funny things in there. Right. You know, you've, you've got a great story uh, about you know, taking your child up to a, you know, well, internationally a known brand. Yes. Yeah, maybe maybe share that with us from from the, you know, from the consumer's eyes. From the, Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the role of a dad. So now it's not just your patient experience, it's, it's your family's. And, and we obviously had, uh, you know, we have several children, as Brian knows. And our oldest daughter, uh, when she was born, we found out she had a congenital heart defect. Now, those aren't necessarily that uncommon, but hers in particular was very unique. So we got a local opinion, which we felt very good about. Um, but we wanted a second opinion. I mean, it's your child. And so we uh, live within driving distance, a day's distance of a very renowned healthcare system, and they're great at heart care. And so we drove there. We took the investment of driving there, staying overnight, paying for a hotel, and we needed to be there at 7 a.m. sharp the next day. Now, the reputation I knew and in the position I'm in, I thought this is going to be phenomenal. They'll probably be early. We better be early, right? It's the old Nebraska way of if, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Of course. Our three-year-old didn't know that at the time, but we made sure to instill it. And so we were there early. We got there at quarter to seven. No one there. Okay. Seven o'clock rolls around. No one there. Finally, at about 7.15, 7.20, we were seen. And we'd been sitting there waiting. And, and I just expected so much and then was met with an empty desk uh, that we were waiting in front of. And so once we got in to see our specialist, who's world-renowned, he does something with the heart that no one else does, gave us a great opinion. Turns out she didn't need any follow-up care. We actually had a great traditional patient experience, but it was that misstep up front uh, that just it got us off on the wrong foot. It left a taste in our mouth the whole way. And it's honestly one of the most distinct things I remember now. It makes me not ever want to go back if we do need follow-up was just that opening gesture. And it's just interesting to experience, you know, the expectations I have for care, not for just myself, but my kids. You as well understand that. And I understand that as a dad, you've had to deal with a recent medical episode in your family. Yeah, which one should I talk about? The the most recent or the the, the one that sticks out in the mind most? Dealer's choice. Well, so like Ryan, I have a number of kids and yes. they are injury prone and they need surgery like the crops need rain. So, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as, as my wife and I are trying to navigate this, 
um, just keeping, you know, keeping them healthy from day to day, other things happen that are unplanned, of course. Right. And, and one of which my middle son, he, he's at baseball practice. He's, he's at tryouts, right? Okay. Uh, he takes his eye off the ball, which is precisely where a baseball hits him. <laughs> and, and now we've got a situation that is ugly, uh, right. quite literally ugly. Like we, we probably can't show you the photo because I've you may be it. eating. Right. Yeah. It's a little uh, bit gruesome. It, it's a little, it, when I, when I put it up on stage, you usually get like a, Ooh, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it, it's okay. He's, he's fine. He's, he's a handsome young man. He's all recovered. Good. But at the moment we didn't know what was going to happen. And that's the point, right? right? That there's, there's something, um, where you, you get that phone call that says, Hey, there's been an accident. Um, we're right. he's in, he's in an ambulance. I'm not quite sure where they're taking him. And, and I'm just getting this, this information third party from my wife. So, you know, just nerves through the roof. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. And it's at that very moment that I, I stop being a, a healthcare professional and I start being dad, yeah. like concerned consumer dad, not knowing a clue of what to do, where to go, how to handle myself, anything. Right. Uh, so despite having, dozen years of, of direct exposure to handle this very thing and help and help coach health systems to do this very thing and take care of those people. I was lost. And, and so, you know, what, what proceeds to happen is, uh, a, a big medical event, right? Multiple surgeries, um, lots of fear and anxiety about, you know, use of faculties, uh, you know, in his eye and, and, and long lasting, right. maybe cosmetic effects and, and all these things. And, and all the while, He's just, he's going along, he's going appointment to appointment and we're going where we're told and we don't have any control over that, which is probably a good thing. Cause I just told you, we didn't know what we were doing. Sure. And so sure. that part I actually found a bit reassuring. I would have liked my opinion asked here or there, any one of those touch points, you know, the dozens of touch points we had, I, I would have liked to offer some feedback and tell people what I was feeling. Wasn't given that opportunity, sure. but I'm, but I'm, I'm still so grateful that the care is excellent. They've been able to save that, you know, full recovery, all these things. But some things I noticed, you know, now, now this kind of, this is kind of where I had a free, you know, while he's resting, right. You've got a sure. few free moments. Right. And you start to notice things like, um, physicians arguing in earshot of us about what to do with the next step uh, to, you know, to surgeons and, yeah. and very conflicting opinions, which doesn't give you confidence no. by the way. Um, the, the experiences about, about, um, just, just access things and just stuff that I know from consumer standpoint isn't okay. And I know that from my standpoint as a consumer in that moment was not okay. Right. Right. But, but so what I'm, if you're tracking with me, what I'm describing is this sort of experience. It's like, it's good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. And it's all those things in between, right? Exactly. There's lots of opportunity for improvement. Lots of things we're grateful for. And then it kind of went bad because we go home and what happens after a healthcare experience, if it was good or bad, what happens? You're going to tell someone about it. You are going to tell someone about it. But when it's all said and done, what, what I was looking for there, Ryan, was the bill comes. Ah. Oh, the bill, right? Lands and like so, an anvil. Yes. And, and again, we've helped design invoices for yes. health systems. And, and the bill comes. I'm unable to interpret it despite years of experience doing this. Uh, this is not a bill. This is not a bill. This is a bill, but don't pay it. And this is also not a bill, but now you owe this. And so uh, despite the fact that our kids are injured so frequently, we have a high deductible health plan, which is insane, something which is review. something I need to rectify. <laughs> but but you know we're out of pocket $10,000 yeah. on this by the time it's all said and done. Yeah. So it's already a big pinch. And in then we get this letter, this final hug from the health system. I like to call it a hug, a warm <laughs> embrace. And it was a letter with the red stamp and it said, uh -huh. overdue, final notice, we're about to send you to collections for an apparent underpayment. I did my very best on trying to understand this. We underpaid by $6.53. Okay. And so this, this interesting ride that we had was it culminated in a threat. And I just think, you know, from, from a... An organization that I hold in high regard. I, I, I know the providers. I know the administrators. Uh, my kids were born at this health system. Yeah. Um, that's just not the way to treat somebody, uh, especially no. somebody that they know or that they should be able to demonstrate that they do. So who's been loyal? Yeah, right. It, yeah, that's right. Loyal. And and despite all that, I'll, I will continue to be. Research would suggest that I shouldn't. Right. Right. But but so the point being that I, I had this this experience. I noticed all these gaps in my own journey. It wasn't even mine, it was my son's journey. Right. And I, and I, it's reinvigorating. Uh, it's, it reinstills purpose. Uh, you, you, you roll your sleeves up, you go to work the next day and you're like, all right, there's work to do. Exactly. And there is right. And, and so it's work that's never done in 
ready to go. And it's fascinating how you said it, Brian, because I think the parallels in our stories is that we work in this industry, okay? You were trying your best to figure out how to pay for care, right? And we were doing the same things. Similar situation where you get all these bills, you get all these explanation of benefits, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table, much like with you and your wife. I'm with my wife, who's of German ancestry, who wants to make sure things get done and that things make sense. Now I'm Irish, so for me, I get uncomfortable if things make sense, but we're, we're doing this <laughs> together, right? And, and we're laying all those bills out and we can't figure it out. Just like you've got this underpayment for $6 and that's what's waiting for you at the end of the roller coaster. Right. It's like we went in for this renowned experience and got off on the wrong foot and it ended on the wrong foot on just trying to figure this out and not knowing how to do it. And when we can't figure it out, it gives you pause because you know how hard it is for that regular everyday person who doesn't live in healthcare, doesn't have the inside knowledge, doesn't have a phone a friend. They're trying to sort out those bills or figure out their payments too. And it gives me hope that we can continue our work to help them. Because if we're struggling with it, you know they are. Right. And for as many stories as there are, and, and sure. we know there are, because we, we listen to consumers all the time about this, where something didn't go right, There, there's a lot of stories where things did go right. Sure. Right? And, and, the, and so how do we go to school on that better? How do we right. connect? Um, how do we connect smart people, make a bigger brain, and, and, and then we've got, you know, effectively the answer. Yeah. Right? One thing is important there is that, as we've been discussing, one answer isn't the same for everybody. Exactly. Like, you know, Ryan, Ryan and I, you, we're, we're fairly similar age. We have similar sized families. We live in the same town in the Midwest. We're, we're very different individuals. The way that we would even choose to consume healthcare or any other thing is very different. And so right. a, a single approach to addressing and communicating with us is, is likely going to fall flat for one of us. Maybe both. It is. It, it, it may very well. And, and that's getting down to that personal level. You know, we talk about N equals one as part of right. human understanding. And it's it's something that continues our work. It's frustrating, but it's motivating. It is. In, in both ways. So, you know, we're getting to, towards the end of our hour, mm -hmm. um, our fun together. And this has been an awesome episode. So we got to hit each other with a question, right? We can turn the spotlight on each other instead of the triangulation of a guest. So we've talked about our paths into healthcare. Mm. Let's go back to that. Let's take all the knowledge, all the experiences, rewind to day one in healthcare. You're just starting out. You're getting to your desk. You're, you, know, you, you got a pot and, potted plant in one hand and a binder in the other. And you're sitting down to work in healthcare. Knowing what you know now, take that time machine back. What's one piece of advice you would give young Brian? Well, knowing how time works now and, and how fleeting it is, I, you know, what I probably wouldn't have done is put in so many hours and been such a perfectionist. <laughs> no, no in, so all, in, all, in all seriousness, we just had uh, recently a conversation. We had a, a, a guest on a recent episode and said something that stuck out to me and this he said it better than I could ever say myself. And what sure. he said was, when you're in a position like that, you take advantage of your beginner's mind. Yeah. And and that's that's the advice I would pay forward to myself. If I were sitting back in that chair again, I would say the same thing to anybody else undertaking a new adventure because there's so much to learn and and what are we if not lifelong learners, or at least we should be. Yeah. What about yourself? Flip it back to you. Uh, I should be prepared for this. I think, you know, I, I would I would go back in time. I think one of the things that I look back, and it's good for everyone to be retrospective, right? I think I think all of our listeners and viewers can ask themselves this question too. But I think if I had to answer that, I would say don't wait for the right time. I think for me, I thought, you know, I'm getting into this and I probably eschewed my beginner's mind and said, I've got to learn about healthcare. There's so much to learn. You know, I got to check my knowledge at the door and I've got to go in and just absorb this world of healthcare before I really know how to do anything. And one, you're never going to know everything about something. You mm. never will. So if you're waiting for that, you're being inefficient, you're putting off things, you can start now. You can just go in and start doing it. And I wish I'd done more of that. And case in point being, we talk so much now about consumerism and branding and these concepts and principles that I knew some things about before that I didn't need to check at the door. And having that beginner's mind was actually a huge advantage that I never realized because I was so busy saying, I've got to learn it all and then 
I can go out and really start my career. Right. If you wait for that, you'll be sitting at your retirement party at 65, <laughs> still waiting for the right time. Yep. So that would be my advice out to everybody yep. listening and viewing. That's great. That's that that advice is really similar to actually how we would we would coach new boards of board members. Yes. Joining boards of directors who bring with them unique life experience and business experience and, and personal experiences and say, like, don't don't come in thinking you have to learn everything about healthcare today. Bring with you all that knowledge. And and you know contribute to the tribal knowledge of this board, and and that's that's really what's effectively going to make you you know more diverse and have greater perspective to better serve the organization. I, I love the advice. There, there's no shortage of people who know healthcare, right, and right. have lived in it, have just you know clothed themselves in healthcare. Yep. So being a newcomer is a huge advantage. I think we should go out on this episode by giving a birthday wish to NRC Health. Now, do we have, sing it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. This is Mr. Karaoke here. I, I think I would be sung I out of the room. Know. But, you know, and the other thing that you have the advantage of, Brian, is that you can tell NRC how it is to be over 40 years of age. I personally cannot. Uh, it's it's like being in your 30s. Okay. <laughs> so remember answer. remember that, NRC Health. <laughs> 40 is the new 30. Age is nothing but a number. That's right. That's right. Um, but no, yeah, that's no, good. but really, I mean, it's been it's been quite a ride. The the you know we love the trajectory of the company. We've got we're so blessed to work with some of the most talented, right. most passionate individuals that are all carrying the torch for human understanding, and that's something that you know it gives you. I talk about motivating. I mean, that's that's really a motivating thing. Yeah. And and so you know, really, we joked about it. But like, here's to the next forty years, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll be long gone by then. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping to make it half that long, really. But we'd but, love to have you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> but but you know, here here's to the next forty years. We'll continue to you know work alongside healthcare as an industry and help to lead where we need to go next. But then also you know the that that fundamental thing, we'll continue to ask what's most important right. to the healthcare consumer every step of the way. And it feels like the other observation I would just add on top of that is it just feels like in our time there. We just keep getting closer and closer to the consumer. You know, it started with these big national consumer surveys. HCAPS is standardized across the country. And we needed that big level change and standardization across the board. Those things that Harvey Picker's original work posited were really important. We've got to redo this across the board and create new standards. But now it's like we're coming in to land the plane. And we're getting closer to households. We're getting closer to individuals. It's not there yet. There's yeah. pieces missing. There's parts of the journey that are still missing. But I know you and I and the rest of our associates in NRC Health, we get up every day knowing we're going to get even closer to that consumer and to the story behind them. Agree. It's been fun. This has been great. I, I mean, I don't want to throw this out here too early, but this may become our highest rated episode. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, we'll listen to uh, subscriber comments. And if you insist that we have a guest on again, fine. <laughs> we'll go back to adding guests if yeah. we have to, sure. But it, it'll, it'll be great to hear the feedback. And it was really fun to dig into each other's stories. Now everybody knows a lot more about the people behind the mics. There we go. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you all so much for joining us today on Patient No Longer. We had a lot of fun. We learned a lot. We really hope you did too. It's fascinating to hear these stories, Brian, and to know that they're following along this similar path, this journey of the healthcare consumer. It's a path that we're all on together, and we're really excited for you to continue to join us every step of the way. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.